Um, there was a, a white woman named Liz Coyle who probably was burning her bras in the 60s. And Liz said to me, over in my neighborhood on the north side, we make demands. In the southwest side, you all ask. And when she said this to me a couple of years ago, it was really profound, right? Because we've mm. been cultured to be very polite. If you are a black person raised in church, we, we are raised on respectability, right? Mm -hmm. It is hard for us to process not, you know, pushing back against authority, right? Mm -hmm. And when she says, Let's begin. Blank paper and pen. Stories to tell. Battles to win. Deep breath and count to ten. Let's begin. Let's begin. Let's begin. Let's begin. This is Leroy Barber here with our producer, Andrew Morgan. This is the Sit Up Podcast, and we are live in the ATL. I'm back home for, I don't know, 24 hours maybe. Uh, and uh, oh, I'm going to see my grandbaby, by the way, just just this commercial break. Uh, but um, here we are, um, and we're with Keone Robbins, who is a co-founder of Connect. And um, uh, we're going to have an interview. We're going to hear an interview with her, but... I'm not going to do this interview. <laughs> I'm going to pass the mic to Pastor Jay, uh, who has been with us in this bubble. And he's going to conduct this interview uh, because he needs to add his own flavor of juice to this because these two people got a lot in common. So, Pastor Jay, take Thank it away. Thank you so much, Leroy. Um, this is like... I found my kindred spirit in ATL. Um, <laughs> it's been amazing. Uh, this, this trip's been amazing. Uh, the time here's been amazing. But when we pulled up and I saw the beautiful Black Lives Matter flag flying from the building, but most importantly saw Black Lives Inspire yes. on the fence, I said, uh-oh, I think, I think I might like where we are. <laughs> and uh, so we talked to Kiyomi and she said, hey, let me tell y'all a little bit about this space. And uh, for those who know me and my heart around seeing the people in the place be the people who actually make plans for that place, to see those who are affected when those from the outside try to come in and make uh, changes, to be the ones who stand against change that would affect those who are there. She started using all the right <laughs> words, all the right language as she explained what's going on. And so I am honored. I am honored to introduce to y'all, you know, Rollins. I want her to go ahead and introduce herself. Yes. Tell us a little bit about your space, you know, and then we're going to get into this interview. Come on. Can we pause one second? Miss Diane, thank you for putting that shirt on. Thank you. <laughs> That's she, so what it's like in my neighborhood. Yeah, she had a set of instructions this morning and she followed through. And yes. I just wanted to acknowledge that, that she followed through on that set of instructions that I asked her. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, so, hey, everybody. I am Kiyomi Rollins. First off, I love the way this whole guerrilla gangster <laughs> onset satellite situationship is happening. <laughs> the production of this, I absolutely love. Um, the fact that y'all got on an RV in the middle of a pandemic and a rebellion mm -hmm. and said we are going to do some things um, about advocacy um, for the community and for the people all the way from Oregon uh, to Zone 4 Atlanta. Um, <laughs> 
Um, it is a beautiful, special thing. So I want to acknowledge you all first for coming to the A, Zone 4, uh, which is the Atlanta without the T, right? right? right so right. we're in the area of Atlanta that you don't include T when you say Atlanta. <laughs> this is Atlanta, right? So this is the area that you all are in um, for Atlanta. So thank you all for the opportunity to be able to come and talk to you all. But I'm just so excited. I just love the innovation, how all of this is happening right here. Thank you, thank you. Well, you awesome. used the word. She, <laughs> used the, she used the Leroy Barber yes, word. Sir. Yes, sir. Like she used it. the I word like innovation. And yes. so yes. Um, the reason why I like what I'm hearing here is like, I, I'm from Chicago. Nice. And um, the, the neighborhood that I'm in, I think people probably would describe our neighborhoods very similarly. Sure. Um, and what I've loved about what you said to us earlier was we see gentrification coming. We yes. see the change happening and we've decided to get ahead of that curve sure. um, and allow for grassroots community-led development to happen sure. so that we own space, mm -hmm. own land, own business. So i just love for you to talk a little bit about that story. Tell us a little bit about Connect, what's happening in there, but also why that's so important, that it be something that's owned by the people who are here uh, and that preserving the, the black spaces here are so important. Oh, absolutely. So Atlanta is this beautiful, special space, right? So we exist in, you know, the culture of lemon pepper wings, magic city, uh, mm -hmm. the black mecca of it all, right? Every type of black experience that exists or that can be is right here in Atlanta coexisting, right? Nice. Just coexisting all in this really nice bowl of lemon pepper hot wing sauce, <laughs> right? <laughs> so um, the reason it's important is, although Atlanta has been the black mecca and has had black leadership um, for almost like about 40 years or so, um, we have not done the best job of development, right? It has just not been the, the best development. To give you an example, um, Back in uh, the early 90s, when Atlanta was courting uh, the Olympics to mm -hmm, come, mm -hmm. right? Um, a little known history fact is that Michael Jackson was actually arrested for going into a jewelry store to buy jewelry, right? Um, during the time that Atlanta was courting uh, the Olympics to come. Mm -hmm. And remember, Atlanta is the busy, the city too busy to hate. Mm -hmm. And within the busy that was too, too busy to hate, police actually arrested Michael Jackson for being in a jewelry store. Michael Jackson, think about wow. that, right? And that's one of those, those little known histories, uh, but Atlanta has two sides to it. Um, the Atlanta way has two versions to it. There's a version that unfortunately, um, a lot of black leadership historically has really answered to developers. Um, in Atlanta, we sell black churches and don't even think about it, right? Um, which you never could have sa said to me that Friendship Baptist Church, where Spelman College was founded in the basement, would sell, mm. right? Mm. So Atlanta has this um, dysfunctional relationship with black folks here. Mm. And we've watched it play out year to year to year to year. Um, it's something about coming into the community of Southwest Atlanta, which is a little different from you know, Lawrenceville, Gwinnett County, even DeKalb. But when you come here and you see this legacy and there's always every story of great power and advancement 
has the little drippings of people being disenfranchised around it. And so I think from a historical standpoint, as we've watched our community and elected officials not have the best response to our community, um, I think it just really boils down to myself and other community folks. We just want black folks to exist in the future. Point blank period, right? Mm. Um, I know as I look at, that's Atlanta College Highway. Um, I know as I look at um, the community that I live in, that I'm blessed and honored to live in this community where two streets over from our business that we live, I don't have the security of saying, 40 years from now, I'll still be in at home because there's so much development and there's not many practices or things that are being introduced to protect us. So about a year ago, while I was having a meeting about displacement, right? Having a meeting about what can we do to preserve black owned businesses within this neighborhood, within this corridor. Um, I had several organizations in our shop um, during a meeting about displacement, I received a certified letter that's saying that the new landlords wanted to evict us, right? Mm. Um, because we were making demands like, you know what, when it rains, maybe water should not be running over the electrical outlet when it rains. I don't know. It shouldn't, mm. probably, right? Um, and one of our other legacy businesses, Neighbors, it probably shouldn't be mold in a space. Probably. Mm -hmm, I don't know. Mm -hmm, Maybe not. Mm -hmm. Right. So a year ago when we got that letter, it just became very apparent that here it is. We got to follow the same cycle. We've been in this community for 10 years with our business and just to be so disposable to have our history just erased like that. I wasn't OK with that. Yes, so after, yeah. I think I cried for like 2.3 seconds. Um, <laughs> yeah. My husband, who is very authentically Jamaican, right? Looked at me and was like, what you gonna do, sis? What we gonna do? And at that moment, it was, we're not going out like this. Um, the space that we're in now, which is Connect, which is about a block long and here in the area. Um, we have been having conversations with this family about this piece of property. I called them up and decided to reimagine what this could be. So it wasn't that, let me go just for myself. Mm -hmm. It is, I know my neighbor that had the mold, has the most risk for being displaced. As the for sale uh, deals are happening and closings are happening, there are gonna be other businesses that are gonna need a space. So we called up and said, hey, not only do we need a space just for us and our business, we need it for a collective. Mm -hmm. um, we want to be that sanctuary. In Atlanta, um, economic genocide is happening to black folks, and there's not an immediate intervention plan. We don't have the best idea, but it's something, right? It's something that right now in the middle of a pandemic and a rebellion, that if a business is being displaced, literally during this conversation, I was talking to a business owner that just walked into the connect and said, I could no longer hold onto my space. Um, we just had to transition and move out. And that business is an essential business for our community because it deals with mental health. Mm. So now I'm immediately wow. going into, okay, hey, what do we need to do? Who else can mm -hmm, I call? Mm -hmm. So the connect right now, we're literally um, like Chicago, um, I don't know, maybe Oregon. We're like the free clinic in the hood. We're literally mm. triaging 
uh, putting band-aids over the bullet wounds of white supremacy, yes. uh, social economic stuff, right? And I don't know what we're doing. I just make shea butter for a living. That's all I do, <laughs> right? That's all I do. But at the end of the day, we know that the community knows what's best for the community. Uh, we live in Atlanta is a space where a report came out that at the beginning of the pandemic, the richest, the 20 of the richest families and philanthropic organizations pulled their money together. They pulled together $1.2 billion. I couldn't even put one $2.0 billion in my iPhone calculator, right? Like I had to look at like, $1 billion. Out of that $1.2 billion, 1.7% went to black community-led nonprofits in Atlanta. Yes. Wow. So when I talk about their, we're in this dysfunctional relationship um, here in Atlanta, that's what I mean. 1.7% of $1.2 billion went to black-led, community-driven, uh, solution-based. So you know, this is this is good. That that I think that comment actually um, spurs me on to some of the 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 the, the resistance that I get because my mindset operates just like yours. Yeah. The people in the community know what they need. Yeah. The people in the community should be empowered because they already have the ideas, the sure. thoughts, mm-hmm. and the creativity. Mm-hmm. They've been surviving when you left us for dead anyway. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So the biggest naysayers always use when we don't get funding or things of that nature about the perceived inability to manage large sums of money, the perceived inability to understand real estate and handle it well, the perceived inability of our inability to work together. We like crabs in the barrel. We're going to take, put the other person down. Can you talk about this cooperative model that you've created here? Why that's so essential to helping us with the acquisition of funds and the advocacy towards making sure that that happens. So, I I would love to talk about that. So historically, black folks have thrived on cooperative economics. Um, if you take a second to look up W.E. Du Bois, 1907 American Negro Report. Um, now I may get this number a little wrong, but I think there were 145 cooperatives slash mutual aids that existed at that time. Um, and primarily they were led by black women. So it's actually in our DNA. Um, in Chicago, New York, Brooklyn, back in the day, we had the dollar caps or the jitney. That literally is cooperative economics, right? We we have always existed on these sub micro economies within our communities. Um, the mutual aid has always been there. It may not be um, very polished or have a really dope website, right? But in our community, we have always taken care of one another. It's in our history, it's in our DNA. That's why, you know, we've had Tulsa's and the Black Wall Streets while they, you know, flourished. But there's been a very systematic way, um, and I'm gonna look to Melvin. Melvin, help me with the statistic. I think there was a number that came out that said, out of the lynchings that were done um, in America, that like 70% of those lynchings were black business owners. So, and what is that number correct, kind of? But it was a it was a very significant amount, right? Mm. So that means systematically, the economics of black folks were literally like wiped out, mm. right? Um, I don't think that it's a crab in a barrel, you know, mentality. I think a lot of that is projected on us, and we kind of say that. I don't think that's that. I think when mm. you look at a business in Atlanta that averages about 
$40,000 annually per year versus the same white business that um, averages about $700,000. And that business at $40,000 is making it work, right? Still being mm. open, mm -hmm. still supporting wow. the neighborhood, yeah, yes. you know, yes. kids yeah. and, you know, doing yes. baseball, whatever that stuff. So we're still existing and there's still a way, right? We all look out for one another. Are all the best interest of what's happening on our block really matters, right? Um, and I think the thing is, we don't get those stories said as much. Uh, and also, the majority of black-owned businesses, you know, that term social impact entrepreneurs, mm -hmm. most black businesses and businesses of color um, are already social impact entrepreneurs. Mm, We're already hiring the neighborhood kids. Talks We're already this. hiring, you know, mm -hmm. the neighborhood uncles that, you know, might have some problematic, you know, issues. Uh, Miss Diane, the lady you all saw walk by here, is never hungry. Um, we had the first time last year, we had two white neighbors, uh, businesses that moved in, um, a pizza shop and a grocery store. I personally walked into the pizza shop and demanded, if Miss Diane ever comes in here and she's hungry, you feed her. Mm. It's, it's, I'm not asking, <laughs> I'm demanding, right? Mm. Everybody here on this block, make sure that she's never hungry, right? That's cooperative economics. On, That's sis. not something that we mm. are out announcing, right? When she comes into that space, I don't care how many customers are in there. I greet her because that's legacy. That's mm. legacy, right? Um, for here in our neighborhood, you can see the impact of a lot of things that Atlanta has kind of put under, you know, the sheets are just trying to kind of hide. Um, we have this community library that's called the Jeffrey Mathis Community Library. Jeffrey Mathis mm. was um, one of the 10-year-old Atlanta child murder victims, right? Mm. Um, his brother still lives in this neighborhood who people who move in, um, he lived in that house, stayed in his house for 40-something years. Um, trauma impacted that family where everyone kind of moved away. Mm -hmm. His brother still stayed in the house. An investor bought the house two years ago and evicted his brother. His brother walks around this neighborhood and it, bur it just, it just wow. breaks my heart because we watched his mental health decline over now having to live in the street, now have to figure out how to not be in this neighborhood. Because one of the things that Atlanta does, which is real cute, you know, Super Bowl comes, high, you know, spotlight events, all of a sudden homeless people disappear for a period of time, right? So we watched um, Mr. Reggie disappear for a while. And now Super Bowl's over, pandemic, we don't know what we're gonna do. Then he just reappeared back in the community. So um, cooperative economics, the crab in the barrel mentality, that's not my reality, Amen. right? Look, look at today. Melvin Amen. called and said, hey, I need, I didn't even read the rest of the text. I literally called Melvin and said, yes, Melvin. Kill me, do we? <laughs> nope, don't want to hear it. You said you needed something, let's make it work. But what about, mm -mm, I don't even really care, Melvin. You said that there is something that's needed that's going to help our people and for the community. Yes. Yes. Right? Now, we couldn't have did this rolling up into Bank of America's parking lot, Wells Fargo's parking lot. There have been so many hoops and things, right? So many right, procedures. Right, right, right. Truth be told, we probably couldn't do that in some of the white churches that are here, right? So on one point when we have spaces where there's a flag and this beautiful mural, can we cuss on this podcast? Absolutely. Right? Okay. You need to. Fuck your mural. I want policy. <laughs> right? 
the murals are cute. They're adorable. I want policy, hmm. right? So those are the conversations that I think are necessary. And in Atlanta, think about the fact that me and Melvin live one street over. You know how many other Melvins and how many other Kiyomis live in this hood, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Just imagine if we did have that capital behind us. Yes. Right? Just imagine if we really did have that support behind us. Right. Right? right. So I think the thing is we know nobody's coming to save us, right? We know that. So at the end of the day, I do want to exist in the future. So, so what do we do uh, about it right now? Yes, yes. I'm over here, like, can't even sit still in my seat. I can't sit still. She's killing it right let's now. Like, like, you are literally throwing alley-oops. Like, I feel like we play basketball. Because I'm it. telling you, my let's next question it. was, like, what what's happened in our neck of the woods yeah. is that we've seen this groundswell of connectivity, this whole idea around cooperative economics, the whole idea around cooperative community development, which I yes. think is a whole nother conversation, because yes. y'all are doing cooperative community development, yeah. not just cooperative economics. They need each other. Yeah. Move into ground, like from the ground yeah. advocacy, right? And I was talking to Jess on this trip about what I think you're just talking about. I don't want to put no words in your mouth, but yeah. I, I believe we are. This idea of advocacy from the ground, not just being yeah. about, there's nothing wrong. Like we need to protest. We need to sometimes test it up, like all yeah, that, right? Sometimes. But also what happens when you become not just uh, the public, but you become the change maker, the policy mm-hmm. maker. Like yeah. how do how do we grow from yeah. This idea of cooperative community development on the ground, cooperative economics, too. I'm not going to wait for somebody to change. Sure. I'm going to become not just change maker through protest, but through policy change, like yeah. knowing mm-hmm. how to change policy. That's why we on this trip, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Like around the vote, around people running for office. Sure. When we were in um, North Carolina and, yeah. and Charlotte, the young man that talked said, I'm voting for Mr. So-and-so who live a block away from me sure. because yeah. I know his track record. Yeah. I, I know he cares about my neighborhood. I yeah. know where his heart is. And so I think that that conversation is one that I want to have with people like you who are already starting this ground level work, yeah. but are ready to move advocacy to the next level, never neglecting the ground. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So I'm just wondering if you could talk a little bit about what advocacy looks like since we said F your mural, yeah. right? Yeah, like, yeah. tell me what the next steps are in your mind. So in my mind, I think we have to look at economic reparative spaces and systems Mm. and no matter how much we talk about cooperative economics America loves some capitalism (laughs) at the end of the day America loves their policy at the end of the day there have been very uh, systematic things in Chicago, Atlanta, California that have been done, you know, gerrymandering redlining, all of these things that are around policy Um, I think the policy part we learned as a community three, four years ago, this street has a piece of legislation um, for zoning called NC-15. Um, I didn't know anything about policy or anything. What I did know is when we went to neighborhood or community meetings and I would hear, I would hear communities in other neighborhoods which were probably more affluent, get things done. 
it was always around policy and making a law. I didn't know you could make a law or draft a piece of policy. I didn't know that. I heard other communities do that. Um, there was a, a white woman named Liz Coyle who probably was burning her bras in the 60s. And Liz said to me, over in my neighborhood on the north side, we make demands. In the southwest side, you all ask. And when she said it to me a couple of years ago, it was really profound, right? Because we've mm -hmm. been cultured to be very polite. If you're a black person raised in church, we, we are raised on respectability, right? Mm -hmm. It is hard for us to process Man. not, you know, pushing back mm -hmm. against authority, right? Mm -hmm. And when she said that, I was like, you're right. We have a piece of legislation on this commercial corridor, uh, a law, NC-15, that has space distance requirements. It says right now that a business that has a drive-through window can never come into our community. It also says that a retail space cannot be beyond 4,000 square feet. Mm. That 4,000 square feet is very important because over in our community, there are family dollars and dollar trees that pop up. Mm -hmm. And we had researched and found that a dollar tree and a family Dollar Tree and a Family Dollar have to have a minimum of 5,000 square feet for a space. Mm -hmm. The reason that we ask for not a drive through window, because we have all these beautiful mom and pop legacy businesses on this corridor. We don't want another churches. We don't want another McDonald's. I don't want another Popeye's chicken in our neighborhood, mm. right? Mm. So, so we were able to institute that. The space this is a requirement means if Melvin has a space where he's selling, you know, lemon pepper wings, fried, you know, hot, wet, somebody can't come and open right next door to him with the same business. And not and someone who is a bigger franchise. So we have a neighborhood coffee spot. We read Starbucks has to have a drive through for them to come into your community. So we were able to put these little small things so in there, right? So Man, good. And so good when stuff. we learned those things, it was like, let's get a piece of policy. Right now we're working on very early stages of, of creating um, what's called a local economic preservation fund or a community wealth building zone to be able to combat the impact or effects of the opportunity zone. Opportunity zone, sounded great literally 10 years ago and i can't remember the it was three elected officials bernie sanders was one of them and i can't remember the two other names but they actually came, 10 years ago they knew what the potential impact or the harm of what opportunity zones could do in black spaces so there was already some conversation about some reparative things could be done so i'm all about policy it is um, one, I'm old. Yes, I've, I've burnt some things down back in my day, right? We all got our role, right? We all have our role. My role now is that policy piece, right? Um, Y'all not giving us reparations, we're going to create a system for that, right? So what can we talk about um, that doesn't use that word reparations, but is very restorative to my yes. community yes. and hopefully could be a model for other spaces. So what we're doing here at the Connect Cooperative, we want to be able to get to a space that other communities will be able to learn. We could kind of create, you know, a guide or some tools to be able to replicate um, in other communities. So what we're doing very similar to what's happening in your neighborhood, but from our bumps and bruises learning across the way, I should be able to connect with your hood to be able to say, hey, here's what we learned. Take this so that you all could grow and don't have to start at square one where we started. 
So I don't even know if I answered your question. No, Pastor you Jay. did. I no, turned into church real quick. Hey, right? No, no, I just started no. rambling like a like a Baptist visiting that preacher. That was it. Right? Just so I ain't gonna be long, y'all. Right? Woo, you get three closes just like every other preacher. You good? <laughs> look. Look, did you you answered that question clearly with yes. just expressing what y'all have already done. Like, sure, sure, that's sure. what I need people to hear. So I'm going to close this thing with this last little thought. Yes. And I want you to talk about this. So my number one thing is narrative. Yeah. And I heard you all throughout this thing talk about what's typically told about your place or what's typically mm-hmm. narrated yeah. about your place. And what I'd love for you to do is just talk about the narrative work yeah. that you do around changing not only what people on the outside think, because I know without even yeah. talking to you about it, that a lot of the narrative work is about changing what people who live here yeah. often believe or have been fed about their neighborhood. Can you talk a little bit about what your emphasis in on narrative shift, completion, as I like to call it, completing sure. the narrative, and, uh, um, and how that has impacted your work and your community? So one of the things that I love doing when I have the space to come and talk to people is to be able to share where I live right like that literally comes up in the very first part of my conversation and then I always look around the space where I see other black people and I look at them directly and say I want y'all to come back home right Mm. and I pause at that right me and Melvin living here first off this is not Brooklyn or Chicago right this community is ours we allowed folks to create a narrative about our space. Mm. We allowed folks, one, I, I couldn't even imagine that we'd ever be in a space where black folks were uncomfortable around black people, mm. right? Mm. So to change the narrative is when I'm in spaces, I'm very clear to announce where I'm from, where I live, mm. how important this neighborhood is to me, but also that legacy piece. Yes, it's cute. Me and Melvin, we, you know, we showed up, but there was already a rich history of black folks that already existed here, right? And you have to make that connection. We can't move forward without this intergenerational piece. Mm-hmm. Are those some uncomfortable conversations? Yes, they are. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I was in a neighborhood church uh, last week, and the conversation was around as we bowed our heads in prayer and we got to say some certain things, I had to remind them that everybody is not Christian and we have to be open for that, right? If we're gonna have community mm-hmm, conversations, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm not being disrespectful to your sacred space, right. but we also have to honor everyone that's in this space, right. right? So I think the narrative is um, we black folks, we love, we inspire, you know, love black folks like you like our culture but also live within your culture, right? Mm. The reason gentrification can only happen if there's available land. If there's no available houses, because we're still here and we retain that, that's one way to combat it. Support your auntie, your grandmama and them that's still living over here. Mm -hmm. To uh, the amazing woke white folks that are moving into the neighborhood. I will say this, Melvin can correct me. Lately, it has been a different conversation amongst new white pioneers to the neighborhood than it was before it was more of a Christopher Columbus we gonna come we not really gonna interact what has been different this year are our white neighbors genuinely asking questions genuinely trying to get to know the neighborhood right 
Um, yeah, revolutions say, have a way of making that happen, don't yes. they? And I always say, in the spirit of conversations, energy, and effort, uh, and the Voices Project, one, black folks, we've been voting. I want y'all to talk to the 53, 53% of white women that voted for Trump. Include them Man. in that conversation. Black folks and black women, we've been saving this country. You ain't lying, right? So the narrative is any hood USA is the most beautiful spaces that black people thrive, right? We, our babies need to see the doctors. Our babies need to see the nurses. They need to see the teachers. They need to see the elected officials. How many of our elected officials still live in our hood, right? Um, I encourage young folks to think about public policy. I encourage young folks to think about city planning. Mm -hmm. I encourage young folks to run for office. Come on. Say that one again. If nothing else for the health insurance. You got student loans. Run for office. <laughs> Get that damn health insurance. But nothing else. You better right? talk. Right? You better talk. Do that hustle. You better talk. And if, not, if a baby stood up and said, I got student loans, I'm running for office because I want some health insurance. Check. You got my vote. <laughs> right? <laughs> Let's start that revolution. Yes. Right? Yes. yes so yes, I would yes. say the narrative is love where you're from love your folks but you got to love all of us yes, right yes, you got yes. to love all of us we have to figure it out right we have to figure out how we're moving in these spaces but then we also have to advocate for the ones that are voiceless we have to advocate for the ones that have been here miss diane awesome, that just walked awesome. by here she is my most important neighbor that's because cool. she is the one that is at most risk Come on. right nice, yes. nice, so if nice, we can't nice. do that and make space, what are we doing, nice. right? So I would say the narrative for our community is, I love this community. I couldn't do this any other place, right? I couldn't be at a space where I've been in this community for 12 years with a business, right, that we've had working for ourselves, my husband and I. My husband is an immigrant. My children are first-gen American on his side. We couldn't do all of that Put a child over there at Spelman Lane. This is our second year debt-free. On All mixing right, some damn, on mixing shea butter and doing community work. Mm. I can't do that awesome, any other place. Awesome. But awesome. in Atlanta, Zone oh. Four, without a T, right? Atlanta. Atlanta. Well, yes. thank you, thank you, thank Yo, you, thank Leroy. you. Hey, I, I hey. ain't got nothing else to say, man. Well, you know, <laughs> thank you. Uh, Y'all are doing it. Um, yes. Real quickly, how can folks get in touch with you if they want to yes. hear more? Y'all going to run over there to our Instagram page, which is the Connect T H E. K-E-N-E-K-T. Mm -hmm. Follow us on Instagram. Click the link in the bio. Make it rain on that little fundraiser <laughs> link. Right? Um, but stay connected. We also feature great black-owned businesses. Financial literacy stuff is community-driven. We will be opening up our cooperative membership at the top of the year. So we would love for people to be able to join in. But they can stay connected with us just like that. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank Thanks for you your guys. time. Thanks for allowing us to roll up Yay. on this property with our RV yes. and hang out for a little while. Yes. Uh, I'm Leroy Barber. This is the Sit Up Podcast with Pastor Jay, yes. our guest host. And uh, let's begin.
Let's begin. Let's begin. Let's begin.